Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I have Pastor Eric Dalma and a message that he taught at Gospel of Grace Fellowship several months ago. Today you're listening to part three of A Tale of Two Cities, The World Builds Babylon. In this episode, he is going to discuss future Babylon. Here's Pastor Eric. And I want to remind you that last week we learned that desiring this one world governmental system was really rebellion against God because God has ordained multiple governments with multiple borders for the purpose of the restraint of evil. We also learned last time, this is last Sunday, that in Genesis 11 the world had built a city that was really the headquarters of rebellion against God and that was the city of Babylon. Now, this week, we're going to see that the world is going to do it again. The world's desire is to have an autonomous rule apart from God and to build Babylon again. But we're going to see that one day Jesus Christ is going to throw Babylon down finally and forever. Now, I want to begin by answering this question, when is Babylon going to be rebuilt? That's a question that oftentimes is asked. But let me give a word of caution before I answer that question. There are some things in scriptures that we simply can't know. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a very important verse that cautions us because there Moses said the things that the Lord has revealed belong to us and our children forever, but the things that the Lord has not revealed belong to the Lord alone. Now, what does that mean? It means that if we don't have something revealed in the scriptures, we can't be dogmatic on it. So what I can affirm is that, yes, Babylon will exist, But the exact date as to when the building project begins, we don't know that. But let me explain where I think it's going to exist for sure. And I want to begin by talking about Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. I'll pull up my pointer here so I can explain a little bit about that prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, notice on the screen, verses 24 through 27, Daniel the prophet laid out what's called a 70 weeks prophecy. And the reason he uses the term weeks, they're literally years. It's 70 times 7 years. So literally there was going to be 490 years until the Messianic kingdom would come and rule over the entire world. But the way Daniel broke this prophecy down is, first of all, the starting point was the decree that Artaxerxes gave in 444 B.C. to rebuild Jerusalem. And what Daniel said is that there would be 483 years from that point until the time that the Messiah would come the first time. So look down on the screen with me, if you will. I guess I'm looking down, you're looking up, sorry. Look up at the screen. And notice my handy-dandy timeline here. The cross represents Jesus Christ's first advent came in exactly as Daniel had prophesied. But remember, I said there were 490 years, and conspicuously absent is seven. That's because there are seven years left over for the second advent of Christ. But remember, during the first advent or coming of Christ, Israel rejected their Messiah, and so this ushered in what we call the church age, or in the Bible it's called the time of the Gentiles, where God is saving primarily Gentiles, but yet he saves Jews as well, all who come to faith in Christ. But at a certain point in history, and again, we don't know where we are in the church age, we could be... uh, a week away from this seven years, we could be a hundred years away. We don't know. But at some point, the church age ends, and come, this, then comes the seven years that Daniel had prophesied. 
That seven years can be referred to as the parousia of Jesus Christ. It is the technical term for his coming. So his coming isn't just a 24-hour day. It is bracketed by Christ coming in the clouds to rapture the church. This is what I believe. I'm a pre-trib proponent. And at the end, he comes with the church to set up his kingdom. Now, when he sets up his kingdom, it will be in Israel. The headquarters will be in Jerusalem, and it will last for how long? A thousand years. After the thousand years, there's one final rebellion. Christ crushes that. He sends all unbelievers to the white throne judgment where they're going to be sentenced to the lake of fire. And then he ushers in the eternal state, the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. Now, what we're saying is this future Babylon is going to be built and is going to, I should say, it's going to exist. We're not sure when it's going to be built, but we know it's going to exist within this last seven years of human history. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. And yes, it will exist, but Jesus Christ will throw it down and he'll set up his kingdom out of Jerusalem. So that's when it's going to exist. Now, what does this Babylon look like? Well, so I'm going to show you here from the book of Revelation it is, yes, a city, but it's also a kingdom, a one-world order that will rule over the world. Now, I'm going to show you that, first of all, from Revelation 17, verse 3. Listen to what John said as he described Babylon. It's, he said this, he said, And he carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Dear ones, notice the description here of Babylon is that of a woman. And now, by the way, he's not picking on you women, and I don't want to claim that he is on Valentine's Day especially, <laughs> but he's simply referring to this woman like a harlot. Because harlotry, yes, symbolizes sometimes sexual immorality, but it also can symbolize what? Spiritual immorality and adultery. And that's exactly the image that John has in his mind. So the woman here is Babylon itself, but notice the relationship. Babylon is riding on this scarlet beast. This is the same beast that comes up out of the sea in Revelation 13.1. In fact, it is the Antichrist. And so here we see this relationship between Babylon and the Antichrist. It is interlinked. Babylon depends upon the Antichrist, and Antichrist will use Babylon for his purposes until it's time to destroy religious Babylon, because the Antichrist will want to be worshipped alone. But there you see the dependence of the Babylon system and the one world order on the Antichrist. But now notice this beast is also declared to have seven heads and ten horns. Now, this has raised some fanciful interpretations over the years. For many years, you had Christians claiming that the seven heads were actually the seven hills that Rome sat upon. And the reason why is in Revelation 17.9, yes, John does say that they are mountains, but then he goes on to say something else. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation 17, and we'll start in verse 9. We'll read through verses uh, 9 through 11. Again, please turn your Bibles to Revelation 17, 9 through 11. And I'm going to show you that this is not Rome that's being described, but instead these seven heads are seven kings or kingdoms that would have come about and would come about. Notice here, Revelation 17, 9, John says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. 
So stop there. That's John's way of tipping you off. He's going to give you the inside scoop. He's going to explain the proper interpretation. Now, why can he do that? Because he's the author. He's the one who's inspired by the Spirit to write. So notice he explains. He says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. But he goes on. In verse 10, he says, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen. Now, let me just stop there. I know I'm in the middle of a sentence. Notice he says they are seven kings. This is built off of the book of Daniel chapter 7, where kings and kingdoms are synonymous. Obviously, what is a king without a kingdom? So notice he's just declared that these seven heads are in fact seven what? They're seven kingdoms or kings. All right, now notice he says that five had fallen. The kingdoms that had fallen as John wrote the book of Revelation from Patmos in 95 AD were these five kingdoms. They are Gentile kingdoms, and they are kingdoms that affected directly the land of Israel. First of all, it was Egypt. They were a world power. And yet when God called them to let his people go, Israel, the Pharaoh in Egypt would not. And so God took them out, that is Israel, from Egypt by a mighty hand. After Egypt was a world power, Assyria came on the scene of history, and they also abused the people of God. In fact, in 722 B.C., God allowed Assyria to destroy the northern ten tribes of Israel. But then Assyria was destroyed by this up-and-coming kingdom, Babylon. Babylon was the one that took Judah into captivity for 70 years. But they, then they themselves were destroyed in 539 B.C., by Cyrus, the Medo-Persian king. The Medo-Persians ruled. They also abused the children of God. In fact, many of you know the book of Esther. Who wanted to wipe out the Jews in the book of Esther? Haman did. But yet God providentially protected them during that time as well. Well, then came Alexander the Great, and he destroyed Persia in the 4th century B.C., Dear ones, those were the five kingdoms that had already come and were off the scene of history that John is referring to as he's writing Revelation from Patmos. Now, notice John says right after the five have fallen, he says, one is. Well, what kingdom was that? Well, it was Rome. He doesn't leave you hanging. We know the kingdom that existed as John wrote that. It was Rome. But then he goes on to say that there is another kingdom yet to come It says, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. That is going to be the Antichrist kingdom, which is the offshoot of the Roman kingdom. Not only does John teach us that here in Revelation 17, but we know that from Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. And so in the future, still in our future, this seventh kingdom is going to come about that will be an offshoot of the Roman Empire, and it will be the Antichrist kingdom. But notice very curiously, John says in verse 11 of Revelation 17, he says, the beast which was and is not, let me stop there, he's borrowing back from Revelation 13 when the beast was dead. It appeared that he was dead, and then it appeared they had a resurrection. That's what John is alluding to. He says, the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. So what in the world is that about? Well, when the Antichrist comes on the scene of history in this last seven years that I was showing you, at some point he's going to be killed. At least it's going to appear that he was killed, 
because it's going to appear that he's raised from the dead. And so at that time, after the pseudo-resurrection, he is going to be imbued by the very power of Satan. So Satan has a false incarnation. Just as Jesus Christ is truly man and truly God, Satan is going to try to counterfeit that with this Antichrist who is truly man, but imbued also by the power of the abyss, Satan himself. And so that's how he becomes this eighth kingdom. After his resurrection, that happens at the midpoint of the tribulation, the whole world gives allegiance to him. The whole world does. Why? They say, well, who was like the beast? He was raised from the dead. And so that's the eighth kingdom. And so you can see here that what John is describing in Babylon is, yes, it is going to be this one world system directly tied to the Antichrist, who's going to control religion, they're going to control commerce, they're going to control all politics. That's what the one world system is going to lead to, the system of Babylon and the Antichrist. Now, notice these ten horns. What are the ten horns? Well, John will tell you later that they are ten kingdoms or kings that share authority with the beast for a time, but they end up acquiescing as his rivals in giving power to him. All right, now, let's talk a little bit about interpreting the book of Revelation. For many years, I despaired about ever knowing what the book of Revelation said because I bought into a lie. And years ago, the lie that I bought into was that there were critical scholars throughout the ages of Christendom that would say, how dare you Christians claim that you could know the book of Revelation after all? It's merely apocalyptic literature with all these fancy symbols that you can read anything you want into. And I bought into that to my shame as a brand new Christian. But when I finally realized sometime in seminary that that's not true, no, the book of Revelation is not apocalyptic literature. Instead, it's something else. Now, what is apocalyptic literature? Well, that was a genre of writing that became very popular in the intertestamental period. This is the 400 years between the Old and the New Testament. And in that time period, you had a lot of Messianic groups like the Essenes. Uh, you probably have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is a group that was very Messianic, looking forward to the Messiah that lived around the Qumran community. Well, they would write apocalyptic literature like the War of the Sons of Light against the Sons of Darkness. And in their literature, yes, they had lots of symbols, and you could read anything you wanted into it. You could make the symbols mean you if you wanted to. But that's not what John does. You see, John isn't writing apocalyptic literature, even though he uses symbols. He's writing prophecy. Now, how do I know that? Do you know how I know that? I'm not some genius, because John tells us. Let's go with what the author says. That's a novel idea. And when someone pointed that out to me, I thought, of course, what the author says. That's the most important thing. Listen to what John says, Revelation 1.3. He said, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, how is prophecy different? Prophecy contains two elements. The first element is what we called forthtelling. Notice the th, forthtelling. Forthtelling is where the prophet says, repent and believe the gospel. Turn from idolatry and turn to God on his terms. That's forthtelling. Revelation has a lot of that. But there's a second aspect to prophecy, and that is foretelling. 
the prophets would foretell the future. And the book of Revelation has a lot of that. Now, what about all these symbols that John uses? What's unique about him is he tells you what the symbols are. So you cannot read anything you want into them. So, for example, we see that the seven heads were what? The seven kings or kingdoms in Revelation 17, 9 through 11. We can't just read anything we want into it. Why? Because John tells us what they are. We see the same thing with the ten horns. There are ten future kings in Revelation 17, 12 through 13. The waters. The harlot sits on many waters, Babylon, and they're not literal waters. How do we know that? Because John tells us that there are many nations, Revelation 17, 15. What about the woman? That's the city of Babylon itself. And time and time it goes. When we have a symbol in Revelation, John tells us. He says the lampstands are the churches. The dragon is Satan. And here's a little precept for you. On the rare occasion that John doesn't tell you what the symbol is, it's because he's alluding to an Old Testament passage that does tell you what the symbol means. An example of that is found in Revelation 12, where John alludes to the sun, moon, and stars. And he's really alluding to the dream that Joseph had in Genesis 39, where the sun, moon, and stars are Jacob, Rachel, and the 12 tribes of Israel. So he never leaves you hanging. He either tells you what the symbol is, or he alludes to the Old Testament, which tells you what the symbol means. Dear ones, Babylon is going to be a real city. Yes, it's going to be really rebuilt. And yes, it's going to be part of this one-world dream of these global elitists to have a one-world order where they can usurp God and have their own dominion. Yes, it's really, really going to exist again. Now, as we continue talking about what Babylon is, remember last week I showed you that the pinnacle expression of man's desire to overthrow God is the building of Babylon the city. They did that in Genesis 11. Remember, when God thwarted them, it says they stopped building the city. The emphasis wasn't on the tower, it was the city. Well, mankind is going to build it again. Babylon is going to be a city. Now, how do I know that? Well, again, because John tells me. Revelation 17, 18, John says, The woman whom you saw is the great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. We see it again. Revelation 18, 10. Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Notice we see it again, if it weren't enough, Revelation 18.21, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence. Dear ones, I'm no genius, I'm just telling you what John has said. The issue with interpreting the book of Revelation is not trying to understand some opaque symbology and imagery, it's simply believing what the text says. Yes, dear ones, it's going to be a city. The desire to build Babylon and a one-world order apart from God is deep in the heart of man. Now, what's very interesting is if you look throughout history, a lot of despots and evil rulers have wanted to build Babylon in their day. Think about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great wanted to rebuild Babylon. Where did he die? He died in Babylon. He died there of more than likely uh, a disease of a bacteria or something that killed him. Now think uh, forward from there. There was another despot that we know of. Many of you have heard of Napoleon. You know, he wanted to rebuild Babylon. But God said it's not time. And where did he meet his fate? He met it at Waterloo. 
You know, there was another man who was fairly evil. In fact, really evil. He wanted to rebuild Babylon. His name was Saddam Hussein. 1987, he started on that project, but God said providentially, it's not time. Where did Saddam Hussein meet his fate? At the hands of the U.S. military. And so time and time through history, evil dictators and world rulers have wanted to rebuild Babylon, and God said in his providence, not yet. But at some point in the future, God will take that restraint away, and he will give humanity exactly what they want. He will give them their desire for a one-world order, and they again will build Babylon. Yes, dear ones, it will be a city. Now, another big debated issue is, well, where is this city going to be, or what city will it be? A lot of Christians have argued over the years that Babylon can't literally be Babylon. It has to be some other city. Again, one of the major proposals has been that Babylon is, in fact, going to be Rome. And again, why? Because, as it says in Revelation 17:9, the city sits on seven mountains. But they don't go on to read that the seven mountains are actually seven kingdoms. So because Rome sits on seven hills and because the Reformers were very desperate to tie the papacy to Babylon, Rome became the city of Babylon for many expositors. It's not true. No, the seven hills, seven mountains are actually seven kingdoms as I just showed you. A better reading, which I don't think is correct, but a better idea is that Jerusalem is Babylon. And those who hold to that view, they have a better reading. Why? Well, because in Revelation 11.8, they have a point. Jerusalem is called the great city. And throughout the rest of Revelation, Babylon is called the great city. And so they equate in their minds, Babylon or Jerusalem, Babylon, both great cities, Jerusalem must be Babylon. But what I want to show you is four reasons why Jerusalem cannot be Babylon. The first, and you don't have to turn to it, but just jot this down, is Revelation 11.8. In Revelation 11.8, John says regarding Jerusalem that just killed the two prophets, he says that spiritually it's called Sodom and Egypt. Why is Jerusalem called Sodom and Egypt? Because just as Sodom and Egypt were in rebellion against God, so is Jerusalem who kills the prophets. But if there was ever a time in the book of Revelation that was very convenient for John to tie Babylon to Jerusalem, that would have been it. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't tie it to Babylon there. He ties it to Sodom and to Egypt. Okay, a second reason why I think Jerusalem and Babylon are different, turn your Bibles, if you will, to Zechariah chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Please turn your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. And as you turn there, again, Zechariah chapter 5 in the Old Testament, you're going to see one of the eight visions that was given to Zechariah. Several of these visions have to do with the future. Okay, so for example, in chapter 3, you see that there was a prophecy about the sins of the land being removed in one day. That was a prophecy about what the Messiah would do on the cross. Well, here, as you turn to Zechariah 5, again, starting in verse 10, the image here is that there is an idol. It's a woman again. I don't mean to pick on women. It's, it's Valentine's Day. I can't believe it. But it's the text. It's the woman in a basket, but the woman is actually an idol. Okay, and so she's in a basket called an ephah, and the image is, it's an idol being removed from Israel. But what's very interesting is where is it removed to? Let's find out. Zechariah 
Zachariah is talking with this angel who's revealing this from heaven. It says, I said to the angel who was speaking with me, where are you taking the ephah? Now stop there. The ephah was a wicker basket between five and ten gallons used for dry goods. They would use it commercially. So a real woman couldn't fit in there. So the woman that's in it is really an idol. That's the context clearly shows us that. So there's an idol in this whisker ba- whisker, wicker basket. And the question is, well, where's, where's this thing going? Notice verse 11. Then he said to me, to build a temple for her in the land of Shinar. Now stop there. Last week in Genesis 11, remember all the nations are commanded by God to disperse and fill the world, but they rebelled against God and they came together to build Babylon. And where did they build it? The plains of Shinar. That's Babylon. So lo and behold, the idol is going to be removed from Israel and it's going to be placed one day in Babylon. Notice at the end of verse 11, it says, and when it is prepared, she will be set there on her own pedestal. What the angel was showing Zechariah is one day God would remove the idolatry from Israel and Jerusalem and move it to Babylon where it originated. Dear ones, I think that's still in the future. Now, let me give you the coup de grace. The fourth reason why we know Jerusalem is not Babylon. Turn your Bibles to Revelation 18.21. We actually read this earlier, but I'll give you a reminder here. Revelation 18.21. Please turn your Bibles there. And you're going to see, I think here conclusively, that Jerusalem cannot be Babylon. Revelation 18.21. Your Bible is going to get a workout today. If it's not all bent up and creased, it will be after today. Revelation 18.21, notice it talks about this strong angel. It says, Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Babylon is going to cease to exist. Now, is Jerusalem going to cease to exist? Well, that would be news to Jesus because he's going to be reigning from the temple in Jerusalem for a thousand years in the millennial kingdom. So, dear ones, Jerusalem is going to exist, but Babylon is not going to exist. And you can't exist and not exist at the same time in the same relationship. You have yourself a contradiction. So, no, it can't be Jerusalem. No, Babylon is Babylon. When John gives us a location in the book of Revelation, unless he otherwise specifies, it is that location. Now, we also see in the book of Revelation a hint that, yes, Babylon will be built again in the same location along the Euphrates. And we see this at the seventh bowl judgment. Here in Revelation 16, 19, talking about this great city, it says the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Now, this is going to be the final bowl judgment that opens up to eternal wrath one day. But what's interesting is just seven verses earlier in Revelation 16, 12, notice you have here the sixth bowl judgment, which is bringing people to the battle of Armageddon. It says the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. What's very interesting is within seven verses, you have the mention of Babylon and the Euphrates. Dear ones, when John says that a city 
is a city. Unless he otherwise specifies, he means just that. Yes, this Babylon will be a literal city, will be the headquarters of a one-world order in rebellion against God, and it will literally be built along the Euphrates once again. Just as man longed to have contact with the demonic realm at the first Babylon, they're going to do it again. Just as man wanted to be autonomous without God and build a city, they're going to do it again. Just as mankind is going to say, we can save ourselves. We don't need God. We don't need these Bible-thumping Christians. They're going to do it again. And it's going to be a literal city built along the Euphrates. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis, and you've been listening to Pastor Eric Dalma. We'll be back next week with a continuation of this series. 